0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dugout Podcast here on WFI. I am your host Andy Wales. Uh, This is a podcast that covers a variety of Football and topics from all over the world, and today we talk South American football, and in particular, Marcelo Galado with my guest, all the way from Buenos Aires. Uh, he's WFI's Argentina football uh, correspondent, Tom Nash. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, uh Tom, I, I guess. This pod came across, uh, came about, I should say, um, from your article on WFI profiling the River Plate Manager, uh, Marcelo Gallardo. So um, we'll be covering him and the job he's done there. Uh, also talking about him being linked with Barcelona, him being so highly rated by some very notable uh, footballing personalities. Uh we'll also get to the uh, cover, Libertadores I'll ask you a little bit about that myself as um as a real uh, what <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right word in here without being too insulting to myself um a, a novice to the to that competition and of course we will touch on the FIFA World Club Cup that's coming up uh, next month as well um but first before we get into all of that uh, just a little bit about yourself um how did you first get bitten by that football bug and what was it that took you to Argentina?
1: So, well, to start with, I'm English. But I live in Argentina now with my wife, but yeah, I mean, I grew up, spent my first 20 years in the UK, just from a small town near Telford in Shropshire, and uh, yeah, I grew up in a in a football football madhouse, really. Um, typical West Midlands football crazy household. You know, my dad is a Birmingham fan. Uh, even though I didn't follow in his footsteps and uh, you know we used to we used to listen to the radio every Saturday in the, the early 90s and listening to the goals going in for for Birmingham and for Villa and for Wolves I ended up being a Wolves fan personally but yeah we sort of we have fans of of West Brom in our family as well so yeah we sort of follow grew up following the fortunes of all the West Midlands teams really so yeah that was my experience in the 90s I, I was a, a football mad kid right from five or six years old one of those kids that always wants the new shirt for Christmas and always wants the new football boots for their birthday and things like that. So yeah, pretty much all my life I've been following football. And then much later in life, I came to Argentina. I came initially as just a backpacker, as a tourist. Then I decided I liked it a lot. I, I liked the culture and I liked the city of Buenos Aires and I wanted to stay longer and learn the language. So I trained as an English teacher, as a TEFL teacher, English as a foreign language teacher, and uh, stayed for a year and a half. Met my wife during that period. After a short time of us uh, living in London for a couple of years, we came back to Argentina. So I've now been living here since 2015. It was about six years in total.
0: Uh, and what's the the local football like there in in terms of, I suppose, in terms of, of support? Is it as mad and as passionate as as I guess what we see the little snatches of on on TV? Is it is it really that sort of fervorous like all the time
1: yeah i mean people are fanatical here people are, are for fanat- especially of the their local clubs the the local fans really are they are absolutely passionate that they're, they're so um they're so they're they live for the club basically they're all members of their club and they some of them help sort of they get involved in the the political side of the club as well because remember these are run more like clubs in in spain would be where you have uh a president who's elected every four years, so there's a there's a political element to, to football in this country which is very big and yeah, the fans are absolutely fanatical yes um, you know you, maybe you don't see it so much on a an average league game against an unknown opponent on a Wednesday night, but when the big game comes around or it's a derby especially yeah it's it's exactly how you would imagine it in the stereotypes the fans are absolutely fanatical here
0: and is is it still a game that's played on the streets of Argentina because obviously I'm off been more familiar with with uh, Europe and and how things have kind of changed over the years it's you see less and less of children playing on the streets and it's more structured environments you know that there are organized clubs and things like that is is that the case in Argentina or is or is it still quite sort of popular that you know kids are, are playing on the streets and that special technical ability that talent that we we always associate with south american footballers is, is that still nurtured in in on the streets uh
1: yeah very much so yeah i mean obviously the clubs do have a huge setup which you know they they they're attracting kids into their youth setup right from 7 or 8 years old but yeah you you do see kids playing on the streets and you know in those those poorer neighborhoods uh, the the shanty towns but, you know you do see people in those you know, any any little space they can that they make it into a a little football pitch or in most times it's just made of concrete and it doubles up as a as a basketball court as well um but yeah, they always find a little space somewhere to to play right from a young age yeah
0: so that sort of unadulterated fanatical passion for the game uh, would it be fair to say that um Marcelo galado kind of encapsulates that
1: uh yeah very much so yeah I mean he's someone who. Went right the way through the, the youth ranks at River Plate, played for the first team, played for many other famous teams around the world, and then launched his managerial career here. Well, actually not here in Argentina. He's, his first managerial job was across the estuary in, in Uruguay. Um, and then obviously now he's known as being the River Plate manager. But yeah, he's, he's someone who's been involved very closely with football right since he was a little boy, yeah.
0: I mean you you've done this article that's on a W5 profiling him talk talk to us a little about his a little about his style and just the job that he's done with River Plate. So he was probably quite a
1: surprise announcement when he was named as manager. So this was in June 2014. River had just won the league title for the first time in about 6 years a spell during which they actually got relegated and the only time in the club's entire history They got relegated, which was in 2011, and they came straight back in 2012, and they won their first league title since the relegation in 2014. So that manager, who's also quite well-known, called Ramon Diaz, he resigned, and they brought in in Gachardo, which was a surprise, really, because he was very young. He was only 38 at the time, and he just literally launched his managerial career at Nacional in Uruguay. Uh, he spent one year there and he won the league over there. So, you know, he, he was a, uh, like I said before, he's uh, a guy that went through the River Plate youth ranks and played for the first team on numerous spells, which, which lasted about probably 15 or 16 years in total. Uh, so he was very, very well known to the fans. He was one of their idols in the, in the nineties and two thousands. Uh, so he comes in in, in June 2014 expectations weren't really that high because obviously he's a a new manager a young manager didn't come with a big reputation for anything he'd done he obviously launched his managerial career successfully in Uruguay but the expectations were quite grounded at that stage but really he just swept swept everyone's expectations away right from the start so in that that first semester he was in charge in, in 2014 he took River to the Copa Sudamericana title, which is the sort of equivalent of the Europa League in Europe. So they win that, and critically, they eliminate Boca in the semi final, which is a big, big deal here. And we'll talk more about that later. But the, the Super Classico derby with Boca is is so big that any trophy you win that includes a Super Classico victory almost has like a, a little star next to it here for the fans. It's worth twice as much. And he hasn't stopped winning trophies since then. So in 2015, he led the team to the Copa Libertadores title for the first time. So that's the the main title in South America. That's your Champions League for South America. So, yeah, he leads River to that title uh, for the first time in 19 years. Again, the the following couple of years, he wins a couple of domestic cups and Super Cups. And then in 2018, he leads the team to another uh, Copa Libertadores title. With that, which is the one that included that famous final against Boca in Madrid. Yeah, and here we are. I mean, at the time of recording, there's now another Copa Libertadores final on the horizon on the 23rd of November against Flamengo, and he has the chance to win three Copa Libertadores within five years. Which, to put that into context, the club only had two titles in the 50 odd years of this competition's existence. They'd only won it twice uh, in 2014 and. He's already doubled that total, and he now has a chance on on the twenty third to to make it three titles. So he, yeah, he's really been a stunningly successful manager.
0: Uh, what what about his style then? Because I, I know he's been lauded. Uh, you know, like you say, we, we we will get to to the bit uh, who's just to who's been lauding him and and how highly they rate him. But uh, what what about his style then? I mean. You know, we we talk about him being very passionate, certainly by the sidelines. And I mean, the story's there to tell as well, isn't there, about him getting himself into trouble uh, on more than one occasion. <laughs> um, but he's actually, in terms of tacticals, he's he's renowned for being um, quite a tactical thinker.
1: Yes, definitely. I think probably the main feature would be his uh, versatility or flexibility, yes. Um, because he's he's someone who tweaks a lot he tweaks formations he he tweaks personnel as well he brings people in and out for different games he moves his formation around uh, before he moves his formation around during the game quite a lot as well so yeah he has a very very shrewd eye for what is needed tactically in situations so his his preferences for attacking football his preferences for normally the team that's been playing for the last few months is a 4-4-2 with quite attacking wing-backs, who sort of double up as they offer the natural width, if you like, on on the wings. One holding midfield player, and then three others who are just encouraged to to really just bomb on towards the box and play one-twos and get into the area to get on the end of moves. Uh, So yeah, his preference is for attacking football, but like I say, he has no problem in moving a formation around and, and playing a more defensive game or a more patient game whenever the situation requires it. Uh,
0: what about his reputation for coaching then? Because we're talking about his his tactical nous, his ability to... Um to be flexible to read situations to uh, to to move it around if you see so obviously you've been a good motivator in there as well and the passion and the the fans making that connection with him but what about as a reputation actually out on the training field um coaching players working with them because i would imagine that you know being able to shift the your uh, formations mid match you know more than you know to more than one two three three different formations during the game you know, players have got to be well drilled upon this. You can't just kind of uh, flick a switch and decide what you're going to do. Uh,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's true. Um, and a, a lot of the stuff that they do is is sort of rehearsed during the preseason. You know, he, has a, he likes to take the team away for a preseason and just normally they go to the United States for a couple of weeks and they set up camp there and they organise a few friendlies and they... They test out the different formations that they think they're going to be using for the next year or the next semester. So, yeah, when these changes are made, it's normally to a formation that was tried back in the summer, in the preseason. And, yeah, obviously, of course, on an individual level, you know, he's, he's coaching players to be, to have that flexibility that he needs from them. So, yeah, that would be his one of his uh what you say, yeah one of his strengths as a manager would be that that he's he's really instilling a sort of versatility in all of these players
0: uh, and I guess as well with with the money being so prominent in Europe that any leading players in in South America would be that in in Brazil or Argentina or anywhere else that, you know, it plays once players start to come to prominence. You've got European clubs coming in with more money, being able to poach these players. Has that been the the uh the situation at River Plate as well? Has he had to has he had to deal with that kind of, you know, turnover of of players and having to adapt and, and kind of refresh all the time as his squads haven't is been changed?
1: Exactly that. Yeah. It's um he's sort of double the credit, really, for the job he's done because that team that won the 2015 Libertadores, if you compare it to the team that won the one in 2018, I think there were only two players left. So during those three years, you know, the turnover is almost 90%. There are only two or three, I think maybe three players who started both of those games, both of of those finals, uh, three years apart. So, yeah, like you say, anytime a player really comes to prominence here, you know, they get stripped away from you quite quickly because uh, in Argentina, I mean, it's a problem for all of South America, but Argentina is even below Brazil and Mexico and the MLS in terms of the food chain. So it's it's quite common for the best players in Argentina to get taken away to Mexico just because even though the league's not as famous or attractive and it's it's not as known for its football as Argentina is, they can offer to double or treble uh, the salary that these guys earn. So yeah, the, the turnover really is a massive issue for for River and and every team in Argentina.
0: Yeah, so it's quite a testament that I mean, obviously he's not just got he's not just kind of stumbled across or built one team and that's the successful team. He's he's had to keep rebuilding constantly as he's going along.
1: Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, re- rebuilding as you as you're going along is part of the job here. Um, yeah, you have to get used to the fact that. At the end of each each year, or even each semester, yeah, your your star performers are probably going to be going off to to Italy or to Portugal or to Mexico or or even MLS, Um, and yeah, you, you have to be very good at rebuilding.
0: Now also in your article you did mention that um, Lionel Messi was uh, a particular fan of Galador, uh, like really really spoke very very highly of him um rating him as as one of was it the best the best 3 or best 5 managers in the world it
1: was yeah this was at these new awards those um the best awards um I think he was nominated as as the third best I think Messi nominated him within his top figures they have to make 3 nominations and I can't remember the other two he met. I think they might have been just say Klopp and Pochettino, or Guardiola and Klopp. And then yeah, the third one on his on his ballot was was though, Yeah, so that was that raised a few uh, eyebrows or yeah caught caught some attention over here.
0: Now, uh, not just Lionel Messi though, because uh, Pep Guardiola is is another is another guy who's spoken very highly of him and and his abilities.
1: Yeah, this was um this was an interview on one of the sports channels um, over here in Argentina. They had a, an exclusive interview with Guardiola. At some point, I think it was around the start of October, maybe even the end of September. Uh, yeah, they, they, I think it must have been an international week because Pep just appeared on the TV here for a casual chat and spoke to one of the news channels here for half an hour and gave his thoughts on a, a whole load of things. And, yeah, he singled out Gasiano for, for a lot of praise. He, he said, you know, the job this manager does is is incredible because he loses players every year and he still seems to be able to maintain the same level of success and the same intensity and the same the same style. I, I don't know how he's never nominated for manager of the year, he said. He said, you know, we're always, always nominated for manager of the year, several of us, and, and he's never there. He's never nominated. It's as if only European managers are allowed to be nominated. I, I don't understand that's what that's what he said on the, in this interview.
0: Well, so that's that's high praise from uh, from a man widely regarded as as perhaps the finest in the manager in the world right now, uh, and if not the the best, certainly one one of the top three around. It it certainly is high praise, and and not just from him, but like you said, you know, from Lionel Messi as well, and. You know, I guess it's an obvious thing then, isn't it? That, um, you know, the the world, the best player in the world for the, for the past decade and to some the best ever, who's so synonymous with Barcelona, is, is talking up this manager. The links have been there with Barcelona. So I, just how strong are those links? At the moment, there doesn't seem to be too much
1: substance to them. Um, at the moment, it's more to do with media outlets suggesting that or... Uh, speculating that this, this could be their man in Barcelona when, if and when Valverde leaves, which you know, we're recording now in mid-November, and it looks, unless something changes radically, that that will probably happen during the coming months or at the end of the season. At the moment, it's mainly coming from a couple of media sources, one in Argentina and one in in Spain. I'm not sure of the name of the the TV show in Spain that that ran this section on it, but yeah, they really just cast their eye over Gachardo and. Looked at what he's done for River and and sort of suggested that he should be the way that Barca turn uh, when they look for their next manager. Like I say, there's nothing on a on an official level. There appears to be nothing at the moment, but yeah, the the idea is certainly uh, certainly been instilled now.
0: And and you would you would expect that, like you said, you know the way Valverde the the way things are going at Barcelona. Uh, there has been issues with them that they don't look quite the same team. And I mean, if you're online, it, you're you're obviously you're exposed to different um, sections of every fan base around the world. But um, it would certainly appear that uh, Barcelona fans are not too happy with the direction of the team right now. And if their number one man, their star player, rates this this man so highly, I guess um, I guess it's quite easy to put two and two together.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking at it from our point of view over here in Argentina, you know we know we have to lose of one day in the future. Just that's the way that football works. Argentina's quite far down the food chain, both financially and in, and in terms of the quality of, of the domestic football now. So you know what, it's inevitable that one day he will have a shot at a big, a big job in Europe, and he'll deserve it too. We'll we'll, we'll applaud him out on his way whenever that day comes because it's you know that's that's the natural path that his career should take and, and almost certainly will take at this stage. So, yeah, it seems to fit together quite well at the moment. And, yeah, we, it wouldn't be a surprise if, if that's the way things go, uh, either early in 2020 or in, in the summer of 2020.
0: I mean, obviously, there's no sort of uh, language issue there for him. But what about football-wise, you know, his style? Do you, do you feel that his style... Uh, the football that he likes to play, that it, it should mesh quite nicely with, with um, what Barcelona have been typically associated with over the past couple of decades?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. I think he can, um, yeah, I think he'll be able to adapt to to their expectations because obviously they're, they're a very, um, a very demanding fan base and a, a, a very demanding club. They demand results and they, they demand them to, to come in the style that they're accustomed to. So, yeah I think so I think he could he could definitely um could fit their their bill if you like because the football we've been watching here at River this year has been absolutely fantastic uh, you know lot, lots of possession lots of attacking full backs and lots of goals which are scored with just lightning quick moves really at the end between you know the, the final two or three four passes are all one touch and they're done you know at, at lightning speed, just to try and catch a defence sort of out of place or off guard. So, yeah, I think it's the type of thing that that the yeah, Barcelona fans like to see, yes.
0: And, I mean, obviously, having the support of not just such a great player, but also such a powerful man within the, the squad, the club, uh, certainly would help. But in terms of his... A uh, presence and his personality. I mean, he was a former international footballer as well himself, wasn't he? so you you feel he he would be able to command the respect of that squad? Do you, do you feel he has that personality to to uh, be able to command that squad, you know the egos and the the different uh, personalities that are there within that club? Yes, I think yeah,
1: from the evidence that you'd see at River, then yes, he's he's very good at creating uh, a harmonious squad and a squad that's focused on the clubs, a squad of players who you could say realize the club comes above everyone. Uh, that seems to be his his way of seeing it. And, it, you know, he seems to be able to get the, the players on board with that because, uh, I mean, right here and now River have some very high profile guys on the bench, mainly because they're coming back from injuries and haven't had the best year. But there there are, you know, the club's record signings and International players who are on the bench for River at the moment, which is surprising to see. But, you know, just the hints you hear from them in interviews, they don't seem to be um, impatient or, or upset about that. They seem to know, you know, they all know that they're part of a, a very good squad, a top level squad for South America, and that, you know, fighting for your position against other top quality guys is part of the trade. So, yeah, I, I think in terms of his. his Personality and, and his presence, yeah, he, he commands enormous respect from his players, and um, yeah, I'm not, but you know, I think he would be able to do a good job with a a squad which obviously would have a lot more egos or
0: personalities in in this case, yeah. Uh, and just one final thing then on on Barcelona before we move on. Am I all right in saying that he's he's only won cup competitions? He's not actually won a league. What what at uh, River Plate?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so his his Achilles heel is league competition. Yeah, since he's been in charge five and a half years, he's won a, a number of cups. He's won two two Libertadores, one Sudamericana, two Copa Argentina, which is the domestic cup, the uh, sort of the equivalent of the FA Cup. And yeah, he he, you're right. Yeah, the one area he's not been able to to do that well is in the league. He seemed to consistently um, the team sometimes just lacks uh, a little bit of intensity or a little bit of focus. They're not quite as uh, clinical in league competition as they are when it's a big cup night and a big knockout night and in one of the different cups. And yeah, that's an area which frustrates fans. I mean, obviously within the context we're talking about hugely successful manager, they can't get too frustrated because this guy is delivering trophy after trophy to the club. So it is a little bit of a frustration for fans, and it is an area that he would have to address, I think, um, if he were to take charge of a side as big as Barcelona. Because, you know, here in South America, he he just outright rests his best eleven before a big a big cup match. So if if River are playing a Libertadores game away to Gremio or Flamengo or Cruzeiro or whoever it is on the, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday night, you'll see a B team play in the league. Of the Saturday afternoon, and they normally drop points as well. The, you know, they, they either lose 1-0 or they, they draw 1-1, or if they're playing a weaker team, they might be able to beat them 1-0 or 2-0. But yeah, the, the fans have become accustomed to dropping points at the weekend in order to keep the best team, best 11, fresh, and then winning the cup tie on the Wednesday night. That's That tends to be the way uh, things have gone under Gashardo for the last five years here.
0: Bizarrely, that that might be something that actually excites Barcelona fans in a way, if any of them are listening, because you know Barcelona have pretty much dominated La Liga over the past decade or so, you know, winning title after title. But it it, it is the thing here in Europe that you know that Champions League trophy that is the you know the real sort of pinnacle. So it's you know that Barcelona. Uh, perhaps you you could argue have uh, perhaps not won it as often as as they really should have, considering the teams and the players that they've had over the the last sort of ten to fifteen years so yeah is there that that possibility that uh, if he were to take charge at Barcelona he could be just exactly what they need in terms of uh, those big cup competitions
1: it could be yeah i mean if if they if Barcelona are really looking to and uh, I'm not a Barcelona expert but you know I do follow european and spanish football a lot and the sensation i get the feeling i get when i listen to the fans or watch the games is that they know the sun is setting on the the Messi empire if you like uh, this absolutely glorious era of barcelona and, and indeed football history has only got probably a couple more seasons maybe three more seasons of messi being the best player in the world um so you know you they do feel that urgency to to deliver that one one more Champions League so he can he can retire with five winners' medals. And you know, you see his his interviews come on TV here in in July and August, and and they've really shifted tone in the last couple of years. He he mentions the Champions League specifically now at the start of the season. He says, you know, we're we're doing well, we're preparing for this, we're preparing for that, and with a special focus on the Champions League. Um it's obvious that that's the one thing he wants to do again before he retires so uh, yeah it, it would be entirely possible it, would, it wouldn't surprise me at all if I went in and I did a bit like um, a bit like Zidane did you know at Real Madrid uh, over three or four years ago where you know the team wouldn't look particularly great in, in the league competition and they'd end up finishing third but uh, on terms of the big cup nights the big semi-finals and finals you know they had the magic and they they delivered on that big occasion and and they delivered the crown, didn't they? So um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if things were to go that way.
0: Yeah, it certainly would be interesting, and it and it's certainly one that we'd look out for. So moving on to the uh, the Copa Libertadores, uh, then um, River Plate playing uh, playing Flamengo, in and where are we on the twenty third of November, which which for any any listeners over here in Europe, I, I believe is going to be on somewhere around about 8, 9 o'clock um, UK or Central Central European time. So it, it's it's a time when everyone can can tune in and, and really sort of take it in. Just how big is it in South America? Because I, I've got to say, I, I've not really watched it and I will be watching this final because I am kind of intrigued by it. But my kind of brief experience of, of hearing about it, it was this kind of mad... Um, passionate, just insane affair that um, you—I guess you would stereotypically associate with South American football. Except there, it is in this uh, in this cup final.
1: Basically, yeah, exactly what you what you say. It's it's uh, it brings all the passion in the game in South America to to a sort of crescendo when when these games, these big big finals or semi-finals or quarter-finals happen. Uh, you know, the year is all about this for, for the big South American clubs and and the fans especially. Yeah, it, it's all the, the noise and, and passion and colour and, and chaos as well because in terms of organisation, it it's a chaotic tournament, which, you know, it was in the world and the global news a lot last year when the final was, was moved from here, from River Plate and played in Madrid. In terms of organisation, it, it's chaos, but on the pitch, it. It's brilliant, you know. The passion flows over. You've got these great players. There are, you know, there, there are always a couple of mad incidents, normally a red card as well. And, and the crowds are just absolutely. It almost seems like they're overflowing on the stands. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a uniquely South American thing because it's um, it's played across this this vast continent, which is much more diverse than Europe is. So, the, I mean, the Copa Libertadores is play. The group stages are are played in the, the altitude of Quito and La Paz in Bolivia, which is about 4,000 meters above sea level. You know, if you're not used to it, you can, you can have trouble breathing at that altitude. It's played on the, the tropical coasts of, of Colombia and, and Ecuador and, and, and Brazil, and it's played on the cold, wet, windy nights in, in Buenos Aires and in, and in Montevideo and yeah it's just uh, you know it's a uniquely south american experience yeah so the fans were not only river and boca fans but i think the whole continent was just uh, just sad and offended really when it was moved to to the bernabéu in 2018
0: where's the final this year then the final this
1: year is in lima in peru because it was moved from santiago so due to the this ongoing these ongoing protests and unrest that's that's going on in chile They had to move the final at very short notice because they they awarded them the final about a year ago. And then, yeah, just in recent weeks, because the protests have become so big and the the protesters have threatened to to pretty much block the final from happening in Santiago, uh, the organisers had to move it very short notice to Peru. So, yeah, it will be played in Lima. Uh,
0: I mean, geographically, I, I can't off the top of my head kind of think just how much travel is involved for the two sets of fans. Are, are they expected to be um, masses from each club there?
1: There are, yeah. It's a long journey for both because I mean we're both on the east coast so it's River against Flamengo so Buenos Aires is on the, the east coast of South America just facing the Atlantic and Rio is also on the east coast too, further north on the Atlantic. Uh, Lima's on the west coast, it's on the Pacific coast so it's a, it's a huge journey yeah. Obviously the Prices of flights and things have just skyrocketed. So there are people who are going to go by land here from Buenos Aires to Lima, which, according to Google, is a 50-hour 50 drive, 55 hour drive. So, uh, yeah, there, there will be a lot of fans from both clubs there, uh, just because they're two of the most well-supported teams on the continent as well. And, uh, you know, River are getting used to these big finals and, you know, these games being played all over the world. But Flamengo haven't made the final for 38 years, so you know, unless unless you're in your 40s as a Flamengo fan, you can't even remember this occasion. So their fans are, they're absolutely dying to go to this game. They're they're, they're spending their life savings to get across to Lima in some cases.
0: Oh, wow, I, I just it just sounds absolutely insane. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, I, you know, there's the complaints for Champions League finals, you know, of um, how far fans have to have to travel but I guess that absolutely trumps it um what what about Flamengo then um do, do you know much about them in terms of their team and what what we could expect for those of us uh who are going to tune in to watch this final
1: so yeah Flamengo are really really flying at the moment uh, they've done incredibly well since they brought in their new new manager Jorge Jesus is a Portuguese guy who well, a lot of the listeners will probably remember from spells at Benfica and Sporting in Lisbon. So Flamengo traditionally I mean they're, they're the most well-supported club in Brazil and in the whole of South America they have a bigger fan base than anybody and they've really become known over recent years or recent decades as, as an incredibly wasteful club. So they have these huge resources at their disposal, and they they just never employed them effectively. As that's the reason why they haven't been in the final for 38 years. They spend badly. They appoint bad managers. They've had bad presidents. They they've had uh, sort of this disharmony within the squad, and you know the, their fans were almost just sick of, of decade after decade of underachievement. This year actually looked like going the same way back in the group stages. So the, just so you know, the Libertadores is played. During the course of a year, it starts in February and it ends now at the end of November. So during the group stages back in, in April and May, they didn't look any different. They looked like the same old Flamengo as always. They looked like they would probably just get knocked out in the last 16 or in the quarterfinal. They, they managed to squeeze through their group on the last game. They needed a nil-nil draw against Peñarol in Montevideo and they got it. Again, they didn't really offer much. They, I can't remember them even having many shots on goal that night. And uh, it just looked like they would be set up for their traditional their traditional failure in, in, in the last 16. Anyway, during the, the winter break, or well, the summer break for you in the Northern Hemisphere in June, uh, they bring in a new manager, this Portuguese guy, Jorge Jesus. And he's just revolutionized the team. Obviously, they have a huge checkbook and they're able to go out and bring in some of the best talent. So in in June and July, they signed uh, Gerson. They signed Felipe Luis, of course, from Atletico Madrid. They signed Rafinha. I think they signed a couple of other important signings as well. And this guy, this Portuguese manager, has really just built an absolutely superb team and he's got them playing exactly how he wanted. And just just in that time, so the knockout rounds start Normally, in a World Cup or a Copa America year like this year, the the group stage of the Libertadores happens before that international break and then the knockout stages happen after. So the knockout stages happen, I think, started by about the end of July or the start of August. And, yeah, bit by bit, Flamengo have just become an absolute machine. Their, their, their attacking football is phenomenal. They've got a couple of really fast, really good attackers. Uh, Gol as he's known, uh, Gabriel Barbosa and Bruno Enrique, as well, is another huge talent. So, yeah, they've just blown teams away, and he ended up with them in the semi final, beating Grêmio 5 uh, 0 in the second leg. They got a 1 1 draw away to Grêmio. They were lucky not to win 3 or 4 1. They probably would have won 3 or 4 1 back in the the days before VAR because they had a couple of very tight goals ruled out. And in the home leg, they just demolished Gremio, which is a team who have been Libertadores specialists themselves in recent years. They won it in 2017. And then they lost a very tight semifinal to River in 2018. And here they were again in the semi. So, you know, Gremio were one of, the, one of the seeds, if you like, one of the, the big boys in this tournament. And, and Flamengo just swept them aside 5-0 with, with an amount of a, a display of attacking football, which was absolutely just very, very impressive. So yeah the game the final itself promises to be promises to be a great occasion you have this river team who's who's gotten used to success over the last 5 years up against the Flamengo team who's just in these recent last 3 or 4 months just found its form and, and you know it's a club that's been reborn in a way so yeah you can expect a very good final on the 23rd
0: so a Flamengo the favorites heading into this final then? Uh, it's debatable, actually. It's, it's, it's
1: one of the things they debate on the TV channels. You know, they say, you know, if someone says River are the favourites, well, someone says, well, no. Look at the talent Flamengo have, and, and they look at the the way they're playing. Flamengo are the favourites, and then someone will say, well, no. Hang on, River are the favourites. River have played final after final for the last five years, and their the manager knows all about their final. And you know, these players they have, they won the most important final of all in in terms of South American history. They they beat Boca Juniors in the final last year. So, you know, River are the, River are the ones with the experience, so they're the favourites. And then someone else will say, uh, no, Flamengo are the favourites. Personally, I think the the level of talent Flamengo have and the way they're playing at the moment, I would see them as favourites personally. But River have a very good team too, and they have this great manager, Gacharado. So underdogs would probably be an exaggeration, but yeah, they are up against a very uh, a phenomenal team, really, by South American standards.
0: Uh, and obviously, Brazil versus Argentina is always is always something to behold. Um, how how do you see the game going? It's yeah, it's it's always
1: there as an undercurrent, isn't it? There's always, there are so many big club clashes now between the, the big Argentine sides and the big Brazilian sides. It's a it's a, one of the classic themes of the. Of the Libertadores is is these these big Argentine Brazil clashes uh, clashes sorry, I mean it should be a great it should be a great game in terms of attacking football because Flamengo only know one way to play. So the last league game was a four four draw at home <laughs> to the local rivals Vasco da Gama, so they just they just threw everybody forward. I mean they they have uh, Felipe Luis as one wing back and Rafinha on the other side and. When they get the ball, they just turn into midfielders. They're not even defenders anymore. They're just they're straight up the wing, and if you can nick the ball off them and launch a counter attack, you leave them really exposed. and, and that's what Vasco da Gama did, and they scored about three goal. Three of those goals just came on the counter attack in the Maracana. So, yeah, it should be quite an attacking game. But I, I think I get the feeling that River might just again there could be a though tactical twist here. Um, he may decide to to sort of approach it with a counter-attacking mindset. Certainly, that's what I thought when I was watching this last Flamengo league game. They have so much talent going forward and so much pace that if you leave a lot of space in behind you, you, you know, you leave a huge space between the defence and the goal with a high line. You, you're asking for trouble, really, uh, because these guys they have up front are just so fast and so lethal. So. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks Gashara might just change things up and wait for them on the counter-attack, pile people behind the ball, just frustrate them a little bit, and then launch their own counter-attacks. But we'll see. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But either way, it's going to be an absolutely fascinating final.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm actually quite looking forward to it, the way you've described it. I think it should be a lot of fun to watch, at the very least.
1: Oh, it will be, yeah, yeah.
0: So just finally and very briefly before we wrap things up then, uh the FIFA World Club uh what, what do they call it? Sorry, the FIFA Club World Cup. I have to get that yeah, right. That's it, um yeah, I'm cool. not not a huge fan of it myself. I'm a Liverpool fan, so um and I'm not particularly looking forward to it myself. It doesn't hold too much I don't hold it in too much esteem myself. But for you know, for for fans of South American football, is is this competition Held in more esteem is—is is this kind of um, a sense of pride, you know, in in, in terms of continental pride?
1: It's huge for South Americans. Yeah, it really is. It's it's sometimes hard as a European in South America to to get Europeans to understand just how much South Americans care about it, and to get South Americans to understand just how much Europeans don't care about it. <laughs> so it can be it can be a job. But yeah, for for them, it represents the pinnacle of football. Their greatest memories as fans uh, here in Argentina is, is that is exactly that game, winning the, the World Cup or the, the Intercontinental Cup as it used to be before about 2003 or 2005. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, Boca fans, the greatest day in their history was when they beat Real Madrid. They, when they had Riquelme and Palermo and Carlos Bianchi was the manager, they beat Real Madrid 2-1 in Japan. And this was the realm. This was the Galactico Real Madrid in in two thousand with Raul and and with uh, Zidane and, and you know Roberto Carlos and those guys. So that was the greatest day in Boca's history. And and it's the same for all the other teams that have won it. Velez won it in ninety four. They've never forgotten about it. And even as far back as the the sixties, you know, the Racing fans they still talk about how they, they beat Celtic in sixty seven. And the Estudiantes fans still talk about how they beat Man United in 1968 and that they became world champions. So, yeah, for South Americans, it's a uh, it's a huge deal. And th- this could be actually a a repeat of a classic fixture from an Intercontinental Cup as well, because the greatest day in Flamengo's history was when they beat Liverpool in 1981. So that's the that's the only time Flamengo have ever won the Libertadores, and this was when Zico was playing for them. And they, yeah, when they they went to Japan and they they beat Liverpool in the, in the intercontinental as it was then, and yeah, that, that's that's a, the date in, in Flamengo's history really. So yeah, the South Americans they'll they'll take whichever one of these two teams qualifies now will, will take at least fifteen or twenty thousand fans on, what you could only really describe as a, a pilgrimage really to, to Qatar <laughs> to go and watch this go and watch this tournament yeah.
0: Could be quite something then, because it's I guess that the way that they've they've got it um, seeded is that uh, Liverpool are in one semi final and there's the winner of the uh, Copa Libertadores uh, in the other, and then obviously there's qualifiers to uh, determine who they actually face. But I, I guess in in terms of um, if you're looking at on paper, it should really be yeah, the winners of the Champions League in Europe versus the uh, Copa Libertadores uh, winners in the final. So it, it could be quite something.
1: Yeah, it would be, it would be a great occasion. And a, a couple of times the South American team has, has let us down in recent years because they, I think they have to beat in the semi-final. They have to beat, uh, it's either the Asian, I think there's a, the, court, the sort of preliminary if you like is between the the Asian and the African team, and then that's when the Copa Libertadores winner comes in. The South American comes in against that Asian team or African team. But yeah, a couple of t- a couple of times they have lost that semifinal. The River last year lost that semifinal to uh, to the local team that stayed Al Ain, the team from UAE. So it's not unheard of for the South American team to slip up in that quarterfinal, which denies you that sort of that sort of dream. That dream final, which you know we all want to see the Champions League winner play against the, the Libertadores winner. So, yeah, let let's hope everything goes as planned, and we'll see either a, a Liverpool River or Liverpool Flamengo in December.
0: Yeah, so whether you're a Liverpool fan or a Barcelona fan, you should be watching the Copa Libertadores final, uh, and then looking forward to uh, if you're a Liverpool fan looking hopefully looking forward to who you you might just be facing in the final of the uh, the. Club or World Cup, if I can actually say that. Um, So, yeah, things um, a lot, lot of attention on South American football uh, over the coming weeks. Then,
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah, Uh, and it's welcome. I mean, it's by no means um, coincidence that the the kick off time for the Libertadores final does land very conveniently for European viewers. So it's going to be on Saturday the twenty third. It's eight o'clock for you in the UK and nine o'clock for for mainland Europe, uh, which is, I think, 3 p.m. in the state east coast or in the States. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's absolutely no coincidence that they, they've they moved it to try and a- attract a more global audience and, and get more football fans from around the world involved. The, from what on one side, you know, on the one hand, you have the fans here which dislike that move because, it you know, the coppa has always played on a Wednesday night, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday nights in under the floodlights, you know, a lot of fans say this isn't this isn't what the Libertadores is about. Playing in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday, it's a you know it's in a dark stadium with with your fireworks and your floodlights and all the rest of it. But at the same time, I, there is a part of me that enjoys the fact that we can open it to a wider audience and and the rest of the world can can share in in this experience with us too.
0: Yeah, I, I've got to say that the more we talk about it, the more I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, it should be it should be a great occasion. And after everything we've discussed here, I think there's there's an awful lot of backstories going on there as well. So, uh, Tom, I've got to thank you for joining me. It's been a very, very enjoyable chat.
1: No, thank you very much, guys. Yeah, likewise, it's been absolutely brilliant. So, uh, yeah, uh, I just hope you can all tune in on the 23rd and and for the World Club Cup. And hopefully there's some still some great football ahead of us for between now and Christmas.
0: Yeah, and for for anyone listening who doesn't uh, already follow you on social media, whereabouts can they catch you? Yeah, so I have a a Twitter account dedicated to River Plate, following
1: River Plate in English as well, translating everything that that develops in Spanish and and translating it into English. Uh, River Plate in English, or the the handle is at carp, C-A-R-P, underscore English
0: so yeah do go check tom out there and his article is available on the world football index site as well which has been tweeted out and um i think we'll probably retweet it along along with this um again So please do check that out as we've you know we've discussed it but go read it in so much more detail very very good article and uh, an excellent profile uh, of uh, what sounds to be uh, an excellent manager with an exciting team and so, so much for South American football coming up, which I'm looking forward to myself. But that's it for this uh, edition of The dugout. Um, obviously, my thanks to uh, for Tom Nash for joining me. As I said, very, very enjoyable chat here on South American football. I feel like I've learned a lot and I am very much looking forward to that uh, Copa Libertadores final now. I'll be marking that one on the calendar But uh, my thanks to each and every one of you for listening. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen, to download this show. And The Dugout will be back with you um, sometime over the coming few weeks. So we're looking to uh, confirm a very exciting guest. So until then, from myself, Andy Wales here on WFI, it's bye-bye now.